whatever it is that you want to do, black boy, black girl, whatever it is that you want to achieve, you can. You can do anything you want to because you are somebody's son, you are somebody's daughter, but you are an American. And in this country, this country, nothing should stop you from achieving your success. From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Descher, and this is Heritage Explains. The Commonwealth of Kentucky made a big change in 2015. They elected Matt Bevin as governor. And he had a lot of work to do to live up to the conservative issues he campaigned on. The only problem? Democrats controlled the Kentucky House. So he went to work. And it's time to change the people you send to Frankfurt. I ask for you to elect conservatives this November. Flip the House. Flip the House. Republicans made history when they took control of the Kentucky House for the first time in nearly 100 years. They quickly started tackling issues like right to work, pushing for school choice, reducing regulations, and passing pro-life legislation. If we don't pass right to work, we will lose out on the Volvos who just passed us by and went to South Carolina. We can't afford it. A union job is only good if it actually exists. And increasingly in the state of Kentucky, They don't exist. We've got to reverse that tide. We've got to start being a state that is attractive to job creators to be able to come here. I grew up well below the poverty level. I grew up with no access to health care. And I know from personal firsthand experience that it is insulting to assume that people like I was for the first 20 something years of my life cannot do for themselves. That in fact, a little bit of an on-ramp and an assistance is not enough. It's insulting to keep people as third-class citizens, and it is now nearly a third of those in Kentucky. It's not acceptable. I don't think that it's appropriate, and we are going to do better for people because people like me, who I had the opportunity, others deserve it as well. We are a pro-life state. The vast majority of folks have been supportive of these, but we've had a house that was controlled by liberal Democrats for 96 years, and so these things didn't come out. Last year, we passed an informed consent bill. This year, we passed a 20-week ban on abortion. We passed the requirement that an ultrasound be provided as part of the entire initial discussion as somebody would be seeking an abortion. But something else historic is happening in Kentucky that you've probably not heard about. Governor Bevin is changing the education system by appointing African-Americans to serve in the three most prominent leadership roles in the Commonwealth. But why does this matter? O.J. Aleka is the deputy treasurer of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. He's a Ph.D. student and a rising voice in the conservative movement. This week, OJ's inspiring interview explains how conservative ideas are providing African Americans more opportunity to succeed than ever before in Kentucky, and how this can be a model for the rest of us around the nation. 
OJ, in your recent article, you mentioned that dramatic change has happened since Matt Bevin became governor uh, of Kentucky. Not only is he implementing policies that are bringing Kentucky in line with many surrounding states and more prosperity is coming, uh, but you also applaud his uh, diverse appointments to various positions within the administration. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me more about that. There's an incredible connection between uh, a good quality education, a decent job, uh, and wealth opportunities. If you have those two things, then your situation is more likely to be good than bad. You're you, you are more likely to be better off than worse off. And uh, it struck me, I think, is a, a pretty awesome thing. That when you look at the individuals leading those systems in Kentucky, because we've got the Cabinet for Education and Workforce Development, which is appropriately named. Everyone knows what that cabinet does. You also have the Council for Post-Secondary Education, uh, which again focuses on the, the public higher ed stuff. Then you have the Kentucky Department of Education. All of those things in line can really be monumental for providing opportunity for people. All three of those uh, public agencies, those public departments, are run by black men. Wow. And that's never happened before in Kentucky history. And a friend of mine and I were talking about how significant that is, particularly under conservative leadership, because the rap is always that conservatives don't care about people of color, conservatives don't care about black folks. If you elect conservatives, I, I think. One elected official put it that they'll they'll try to put you all back in chains. I believe the the phrasing was. <laughs> you mean Vice President Biden? Yes, I mean Vice President <laughs> Biden. Yes. So when you when you have that narrative out there, I was upset that nobody was talking about how that wasn't the case. Kentucky right now has the most conservative government it's ever had. Wow. And the fact that no one was talking about how these particular individuals all qualify in their own right. Uh, two of them are. Doctors of Education and um, Derek Ramsey, the Secretary for Education and Workforce Development, has been a, a prior cabinet secretary. He's all qualified. No one's talking about how uh, a historically marginalized group, black men, are now in charge of these systems for all of Kentucky. And I thought that was a significant thing, so I chose to write about it. You said, and, and I'll quote you here, mm-hmm. despite the civil, educational, and economic gains over the last 150 years since slavery. Mm -hmm. We are still trying to overcome. Black folks still ain't winning. Yep. You've been doing some research on how the free market can end generational poverty. And Mm -hmm. this caught my attention, Mm -hmm. uh, especially because I do believe that. I do 100% believe that. But I want to go a little deeper. Sure. Uh, what are some of these solutions? How, how do you see this manifesting uh, in Kentucky or even throughout the U.S.? Well, I, I think there's an incredible opportunity, again, for conservatives who believe in, in liberty, who believe in free enterprise and the free market to play a role here. Because what, what folks on the other side will say is that conservatives simply don't care about the human element of things. They say, well, you know, just cut some taxes here and there and the jobs will come down and the money will rain and people will be fine. And I do think there is some truth to that. But I think where where we can do better is with messaging in terms of how providing access to these opportunities for groups that have historically not had access to them really can change things. Because the, the argument that I always make is that if you believe that the American system doesn't work, tell me why. They say, well, 
You know, you see these types of people or this group of people, they get benefits from it and so on. I'll say, well, well, then it, it does work. The question is, does it work for you? Which I think is a fair question. And I think where we can come out on uh, come out in front of some of these things as conservatives is, is to one, acknowledge acknowledge the sins of the past in order to evangelize for the prosperity of the future. Okay, I think the way that you do that is by calling out explicit policies that aren't any good. For example, you have a history of our government being fine with uh, a concept called redlining. Now, for your listeners who may not know what redlining is, it's the idea that there were whole swaths of communities that banks decided that they weren't going to loan to because of the people that were there. Now, these were typically black folks. So you think about if you couldn't get a loan, this was in the the mid-20th century. So if you couldn't get a loan, think about what that would do for your dreams in order to try and be uh, prosperous. You couldn't start a business. It'd be a lot harder because you have to have the capital up front. Sure. You couldn't purchase a home. Uh, If you wanted to purchase a home, sometimes those homes were valued less, again, because of what uh, banks were willing to do. And as a result, you can't pass on that wealth. Most people's wealth is in their home or it's in their business something that required capital initially. So if you were born, if you were a boomer born in 1950 and you're trying to pass on a home to the next generation or pass on a business to the next generation, most likely if you are a black family, there isn't a whole lot of wealth there. So what I submit to my fellow conservatives is to say, look, none of, none of us were around when that happened. But if we can acknowledge and say, well, look, the way the system was, again, this was government sanctioned, which when the government begins to regulate or overregulate in the name of one group of people, that's certainly not conservatism. That's a, a too big, too large government that's doing too much. So when we ask the government to pull back and say, let's open up opportunities for everybody, this is a way where folks from all kinds of different backgrounds can take advantage of the free market when it has to offer. OJ, in your piece, you talk about mentoring African-American boys, and you said something that really struck me. You said that you treat them as young lions destined for greatness. Man, tell me more about that. Yes, and I, I, I can't take full credit for that. That is, there's a school uh, in, in Jefferson County Public Schools called the Du Bois Academy, and that is what they call their middle school boys. They are uh, a sixth grade boys school, and they call their boys young lions destined for greatness. And I, and I think that's important. I'll actually I'll speak to. My I own. get chills just yeah thinking about yeah imparting that yeah onto young men. And that's what it is. It's incredible. That's what it is. I think as a as a young guy, uh, and there are a number of questions now about masculinity in our society. I think as a young man. It is very important for boys to believe in themselves yes. in a positive way that can be useful for their community. That was my father. He, he passed away a few years ago, but he always used to tell me growing up, you can do anything you want to. Why? Because you are your father's son. You are an Oleka. And like it was, it was a thing that motivated me throughout my entire life. And I think, I think that if we have more adults saying that to young boys— it puts them in a position where they've got the confidence to do new and exciting things where they are destined for greatness. Another thing that I would always say is what they see is what they'll be. This is what we talked about in college. If you if you provide a positive view of what you can be as an adult when you're a kid, you're going to try and reach that 
throughout everything you're doing in your life. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can do, which isn't a government solution. This is a people solution. This is us saying, what do we really value and who do we value? And how can we instill those values in kids uh, when they're young? I really believe that mentorship Mm -hmm. is probably the greatest thing, especially in a young man's life. Yeah. Uh, having someone other than their father mm-hmm. pour into them. Yep. And even now as a 33-year-old, yeah. I I need that. I need people sure. to be pouring into me. And I know you you do too. Yeah. Um, because it does. It provides a way for people to realize, one, they've got it in them. Mm-hmm. Two, I care about you. Yep. And three, you can do anything. Yes. Well, because when you age... You are uh, the you are the oldest you've ever been and the youngest you'll ever be at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So there are experiences that you simply just don't know and you, and you don't you don't know what to prepare for. So if there is a, a man who's a generation older than you, they can say, well, look, I experienced this when I was 33 or 31 or 15 or, or 40, whatever it is. And you can walk somebody through it. And it, it puts that man in a better position uh, to to be successful in their life, and then also for the people around them. Because if you're filled with so much angst, so much anxiety, because you you don't know how to figure out whatever this issue is, then the people around you are, are negatively impacted by that. If you only had one thing to share with African-American millennials, what would it be? In order to understand who I am, you have to understand who my father is. My father grew up in abject poverty in a small village in Nigeria. He lost his father by the time he was four and was sent to live with a headmaster to get a quality education when he was 12. The headmaster was incredibly cruel, an awful man, a terrible individual who made my father eat cockroaches, made him eat bugs, wouldn't give him the same resources he gave the other kids. I don't know why he picked on my dad. He wouldn't give him his own bar of soap to wash. So my dad told me that he would have to go and pick up the little pieces of bars of, of other soap from the other kids to fashion his own bar because he knew he had to be clean in order to make the achievements that he wanted to make. And he got through that difficult situation and met a beautiful woman, my mother, and said, let's go try out this country called the United States and live the American dream. And they did. They came here. My father got a PhD. My mother got her nursing degree. And they put three kids through college, wow. and they bought a house, and they lived the American dream. And there were difficulties, and there were challenges, and it was hard. But whenever my father would say to me, whenever I had some difficulty or some challenge, you can do whatever you want to because you are my son, to me that was saying, I've gone through some pretty difficult things. But as long as you've got me here, and as long as you've got your Heavenly Father here, you can do anything. Yeah. So for millennial black folk, in this country, we've had to deal with some pretty significantly difficult things. There was a generation before us that had to get through Jim Crow. There was a generation before us that had to deal with segregation where the story I told about my father, many of them could probably resonate with, if not much worse things from uglier people. Mm. But so many of those folks, not enough, but so many of those folks got out of their situation, married somebody, or 
lived the American dream in their own way. And now we're here. So whatever it is that you want to do, black boy, black girl, whatever it is that you want to achieve, you can. You can do anything you want to because you are somebody's son, you are somebody's daughter, but you are an American. And in this country, this country, nothing should stop you from achieving your success. Nothing should stop you from doing what you want to do because it is your birthright, it is your right as a citizen, and it is your opportunity as somebody who is made in God's image that you can make history and you should live a life like that's what you were meant to do. OJ, thank you so much for making the trek all the way from Kentucky (laughs) to come here. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this week's episode of Heritage Explains. Be sure to check the show notes for links to the articles mentioned in the episode. And while you're there, please share us with your friends and family. Give us a like and a share on Facebook or all your social media. Michelle's on next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad. Do conversations about the Supreme Court leave you scratching your head? Then subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a podcast breaking down the cases, personalities, and gossip at the Supreme Court.